Well, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Glad you're here. Thank the Lord for the privilege and opportunity to assemble together in the house of God. I know there's a lot of folks that are out sick, and it's a really bad time right now, about as bad as I've seen it in a while, uh, for sickness. And so that's where several are today, and uh, we pray for them and ask the Lord to have mercy on them and help them. Of course, we miss them when they're not here. Uh, But we're glad that you're here and thank the Lord for that and thank the Lord for another privilege to come together in the house of God. Here we are in the last day of uh, 2023 and uh, there's no guarantee that 2024 will ever come. There's no guarantee and I've made mention of this I think about the last three services at least that we've been in and it's just been something that's been on my heart. Uh, we treat church a lot of times or coming to the assembly like it's just something we do ever so often and then we'll do it again. But there's really no guarantee that we'll ever be able to assemble together again in the house of God. Uh, there's no guarantee that because of uh, maybe a physical problem that we may never get to come back. But we, this may be the last opportunity we have, period, to ever be together in the house of God. The Lord could come before 2024 rolls around. And if this is the last service that I'm ever in, I want to do everything in my power, everything the Lord puts on my heart to do to get in and get what He has for us. And I want to leave this morning better than we come. We've said it so many times. And we're able to if He'll help us. And if we'll be sensitive and submissive, obedient to the leadership of the Spirit of God. And I pray that we will this morning. Trust the Lord to help us. Glad you're here. Thank the Lord for it. The Lord's been good. I think that that was uh, probably couldn't be any better fitting song to sing this morning than I've never been sorry. I thought about 2023 has come and gone. A lot of people have made statements about uh, how fast it went. Some have made statements about how hard it's been. I'm not downplaying any difficulty, any trial, any trouble that anybody's faced in this year. But there's one thing for certain. I'm not sorry that I've been with Him and that He's been with me. A lot of troubles come our way, a lot of heartache. We're not immune to it. Being saved does not make us immune to trouble and heartache in this life. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures say, all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's trouble that are going to come. Job said, man, this born of woman's few days, and them days are full of trouble. And that's just part of living in the flesh. But I'm glad that I, the one writer said, and it's in one of the songs we sing, maybe sung it, I think, this morning, I have somebody with me all the way. And I'm glad that I do. I've never, there's a lot of things in my life and a lot of things in this past year that I'm sorry about and would like the opportunity to go back and do over and change. But I've never been sorry concerning anything that has to do with Him. And I'm grateful this morning for Him, for desiring my heart to be in the house of God. Grateful to be here this morning with you. If you have a copy of the Word of God this morning want to turn with us, we'll be in Psalm 48. Psalm 48. If you want to turn there, it's a scripture that the Lord has laid on our heart for the service this morning. We were in Psalm 126 on Wednesday night, and uh, I think, best I can remember, made mention of this psalm just in passing, really hadn't 
thought very much about it since then until yesterday and the Lord began to deal with my heart and to work in my heart and so I want to try this morning if you'd pray for us that the Lord would help us to give you what's on our heart for the service this morning. Psalm 48, when you found your place, if you're physically able and willing to do so, we'll stand together. Out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read the entire psalm this morning, 14 verses, and then try our best to give you what the Lord's placed on our heart for the service this morning. Psalm 48, beginning in verse number 1, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. They saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever, Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our God even unto death. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I was praying about the service this morning, asking the Lord for direction and guidance on what He wanted for the service today. And uh, to be honest with you, we, I said already we dealt with Psalm 126 on Wednesday night and when the Scripture said, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. And we made mention of the fact that a lot of times in the Scripture that the word Zion is associated with the gathering place or the place where God would manifest Himself and the people of God would gather together. Zion is an Old Testament term. Many times in these days, the New Testament age that we're living in, the word Zion has somewhat become synonymous with the New Testament church. And I believe there is great spiritual application there. At least I want to try by the help of God and have been directed by the Holy Ghost in my heart to try to make that application again this morning. We made that application on Wednesday night about the captivity that had come among the people of God and not just among the people of God but in their worship, in their place where they went together to worship God and then 
that the work of God somehow or another is not recorded for us to know exactly how but we know that it was God and the work of God that turned again their captivity that brought them out of the place where they felt bound and not able to worship but God set them free again in their place of worship. Here in the scripture, the Bible speaks about Zion. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I thought about, as I was reading, God was dealing my heart. I, I thought about the song that most everybody probably knows, the old ship of Zion. And that uh, script, uh, that song and those lyrics speak about uh, the church and it uses the word or the term Zion. And I think that uh, Zion in the old Old Testament is a great type and a picture of the church in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Isaiah speaks about Zion in Isaiah 64, I think it is, and maybe verse number 80 speaks about Zion as a house where the fathers worship and praise God. And so in the Old Testament, Zion is not Jerusalem. Those are not synonymous. Zion is not the whole city, but Zion was the place on the north side where the temple would sit and where the people of God would go up together to worship God. Zion always, I said Wednesday night, I want to say again this morning, Zion was always synonymous with a place of worship. Anytime in the Old Testament that you read about Zion, it was not speaking just about Israel or that land, but it was speaking about the place where God manifested and where the people of God went up together to worship Him. And as I was reading this scripture several weeks ago, maybe even months ago, myself and another preacher were having a conversation and in the conversation it came up, he made the statement about the prettiest church that he had ever seen. And all that yesterday came flooding back. And that's what I want to preach on this morning, God will help me on the prettiest church I've ever seen. Here in the scripture, the Bible said, speaking of Zion, that it is beautiful for situation. That speaks of where it is. That really speaks of its elevation. If you look up the word situation in the Hebrew, it means that Zion was an elevated place. That it was a high place. That's why the Bible spoke about in the Psalms. We read about songs of degrees or songs of ascents that they would sing as they went up to the temple. It was always an upward journey. And Zion, the worship place, always set high where it could be seen all all around and here in the scripture it said it was beautiful for situation and God got to deal my heart this morning to preach on the prettiest church I've ever seen now the word church is never mentioned in the Old Testament because church is not an Old Testament word a church is a New Testament word. And matter of fact, the first time that you ever see the word church in the New Testament in the Bible at all is in the book of Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus and his disciples are on the shores of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them who do men say that I am. They said some say you're a 
Jeremiah, some Jeremiah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ of the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah for flesh and blood, hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father in heaven. And he said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not on Peter, but on the rock of the fact that he was the Christ of the Son of the living God, he said, I will build my church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the first time we ever find the mention of the word church in the Bible, it is mentioned by the mouth of Christ himself. And there's great significance in that. It means that he is the sole authority of the church. He is the one who designates what a church is, what the church is and what it's not. He's the one that approves of what the church ought to do and what the church should not do. And I already found myself. Let's see, we have great misunderstanding and a great misconception in our American world and in the world as a whole in this age of what the church really is. I already caught myself this morning wanting to say what a church does. There's not a church. There is the church. There are not many churches. There is but one church. Now, there's a lot of assemblies and there's a lot of meeting houses, but there's not but one church. And it's the prettiest church that you'll ever see. Now there's a lot of people that was mentioned this morning in Sunday school. Now I'm not sure, I can't remember to be honest how far that Brother Tim went with it. I'm not sure that he finished the statement that Spurgeon made and I can't remember it 100%. But Spurgeon said you better be careful when you criticize the church for you're criticizing the apple of Christ's eye. That's what he came to buy was the church. And the reason he has authority over the church is he paid for the church. And Paul said he loved the church church and he gave himself for the church and his church is the prettiest church you'll ever see Matter of fact, his church is the only church that you'll ever see. We have a great misconception of the church. The beauty of a church is not the building because a church is not a building. And I, this is really on my heart pretty strong and I, I rejoiced in it. I felt a, a desire. I always had to come, I felt a strong desire had to come this morning and a strong desire had to preach this morning. I want to give you everything that's on my heart by the help of God. But we have such a misunderstanding of what the church is. The church is not a building. If, if I'm correct in looking in the Word of God, I really cannot find anywhere in the whole Word of God that the word church is mentioned that ever really refers to a building. I don't think it ever referred, even in the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the book of the Revelation, John is not and the Spirit is not referring to a building, it's referring to a body. And the church is not a building. And the beauty of the church is not in the building. We, we, have, we have become so ensnared and entrapped in buildings 
in our day. And I'm not preaching against church buildings. I think the church building ought to be the prettiest one. I think it ought to get more attention than our houses. I, I remember what Brother Forbes preached when he came on that Thursday night in the Old Testament that they were dwelling in their sealed houses and the house of God was lying waste. It ought not be that way. But we cannot get sidetracked and get so caught up in the building that we miss the church. I thought about, you know, and I just prayed. I told the Lord I won't say what He wants me to say. I won't say anything more than that. And uh, I don't know that I've ever preached. I know I've not ever preached from this scripture this way. I don't know that I've ever really preached so strongly a type of Zion and the church. And I was talking to some other preachers and I was just real honest. I said, I miss Brother Pace. Brother Pace was a great, one of the greatest typology preachers that I ever heard in my life. And one preacher said, yeah, I miss him too. But if you got this direction from God, then you got to preach what God has put on your heart. And so this morning I'm preaching about the prettiest church I've ever seen. And it's not about a building. Now I've been in some pretty buildings. And I thought, and, and we got some at home sick and some of them asked if we can live stream the service and so we are. Now I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I, I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but I thought about some of the buildings I've been in. I guess interior-wise, Brother Ronnie Jones Church in Ottawa, Tennessee is one of the prettiest buildings I've ever been in on the inside. But I'm telling you, we've got so, and there's nothing wrong with having a pretty building. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm, and I'm not downplaying our building, but I walk through the door and my heart leaps over this building as much as any other building I've ever been in. And more so, because this is my place. Why assemble together with the church? And this building doesn't make the church. And if we come tonight and there's a sign on the door that says you can't assemble in this building anymore, it's not going to stop the church and the church is not a building and the beauty of the church is not found in a building but the beauty of the church is in a body of born again believers bought by the precious blood of Christ that's the beauty of the church that's what Christ looks upon he's not interested in how big or small our buildings are he's not interested in what color carpet is on the floor or what color the pews are or what wood the pulpit's made out of he's interested in the body he didn't die for a building he died for a body and the beauty of the church the beauty of Christ's church it's not in any building but it's in a body We've been so caught up in a building. In our day, I'm talking about the church world as a whole has been so caught up in a building that we have grown to the place. I think that's why there are many people that are in the church buildings. See, we got to be careful. We can't make the statement that there are many people in the church that are not saved. There's nobody in the church that's not saved. But there are a lot of people in church buildings all across our land that are not saved and they're deceived in thinking that all the church is is a building and a trip to a building. But it's not about the building. Matter of fact, the church always operated and can operate in these days without a building. Oftentimes in the scriptures and Paul's epistles, he would commend or send word of encouragement or exhortation, he said, to the church in their house. They met together in one another's house. 
The Bible said about the early church in the book of Acts, they met daily from house to house. And they weren't caught up in a building. It didn't thrill them to be in some building. What thrilled them is they were a part of the body of Christ. And we've lost sight. We've downplayed being a part of the body for being inside a building. And they want to see how big they can build the buildings. And they want to see what all kinds of things they can put in the building. I'm going to tell you this morning, the beauty of a church, the beauty of the church, is not in a building, but it's in the body. And it's in that body that's been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. Peter said, you're not redeemed with corruptible things. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. As silver and gold that you receive by conversation and tradition of your fathers. He said, but you're redeemed with, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's a precious thing. It's a beautiful thing. How to be a part of the body of born again believers born by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church I just got a few things that God put on my heart and then I want to look at this scripture and I'll be done. The beauty of the church is not the building. The beauty of the church is not the pulpit. The beauty of the church is not the pews. The beauty of the church is not programs and plans. And we're so steeped in that today. Everybody's running. They're going to choose. Now, now there ain't but one church. We understand that. But they're going to choose an assembly based on what kind of programs they offer. But that's not the church. The church is not programs. And the church is not plans. And all across, and I'm not necessarily against them. I don't want you to go away with that. But you know, all oh, everybody's going to go here and there and they're going to forsake their assembly or to go to a Christmas play or something, some kind of program. And I understand you got grandkids and kids and all, all that. I'm not preaching against it. But I'm telling you, it's not the beauty of the church. It's not in all kinds of programs. Matter of fact, I was talking to one preacher, I guess it was, and he talked about how when it come time for that time of year, you know, to roll around, there's so much tension in the church. And I thought, yeah, that's about right. I've known way more bad to come out of it than I ever have any good. And it's because God never set it up. I'm not preaching against it if it's in its place, but God did not set the church up to have programs and plays and games and gimmicks. Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. And the beauty of the church is not the pulpit nor the pews nor anybody that stands behind it nor anybody that sits in it nor the programs nor the plans, but the beauty of the church of God is the power and the presence of the Holy God. That's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is not frills nor finances. And there's a lot of people that say, well, if we've got a lot of money, we can, and I know it takes money to make the world go round, but money is not the beauty of the church. How much money's in the bank account? It's not the beauty of the church. God help us to never get so hung up on what we have and what we don't have as far as this world's good. That's not doesn't make the beauty of the church. But it's the fruit of the Spirit and the fellowship of the brethren that we can come together in unity. Ain't that what David said? How good and how pleasant, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The fellowship of the people of God is the beauty of the church. If you want to show the world a beautiful thing, we don't need to build a bigger building. We don't need to have more money in the bank. 
We don't need plans and programs. We just need the power of God. And we need the fellowship among the brethren. That'll show the world the beauty of the church. But then I thought about here in this Scripture. If we look at this Scripture and the reality. I thought about this and then I'll get to these verses here. The reality is that we're living such a day today, especially in America, among church assemblies and church buildings, that they talk about, you know, they act like the beauty of a church is growing and going. What I mean by that, and I want to grow, and we ought to go and do what God has made us to do and commanded us to do and designated and designed for us to do, but we're not supposed to stoop to any level and compromise or to try to get a crowd or have success measured by a man's means. The beauty of the church is not growing and going like the world says, but it's the gospel going forth in power among the people. That's the beauty of the church. But I thought about this Scripture here and I want to look at just a few things here and I'll be done. Here in the Scripture, the psalmist here is talking about Zion. I think it can be applied to the church. Matter of fact, in the Bible that I have at the heading above the fact that it says a song and psalm for the sons of Korah, my Bible says ornaments and privileges of the church. And so others have taken this and seen the type. And and of course there's no perfect type. You can't go through all the Scripture and just assume or apply Zion to every time it's mentioned in the Word of God as a type of the church. But in this Scripture, in this chapter, I believe there's great type of the church of the living God in Zion in Psalm 48. And here in the Scripture it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, which is Zion. In the mountain of His holiness, which is Zion. And I don't know if you, if it come across in your ears uh, uh, like it did in mine, but I had real trouble reading verses 1 and 2 because all my life growing up at the school, we sung. And these were meant to be songs. Uh, we sung verses 1 and 2, and so it's hard for me to read them. But the Scriptures say that this this mountain, this Zion, this city of God is beautiful for situation. That's the first thing that the Scripture here speaks about provides beauty to Zion. And so I want to make it apply to the church. What gives the church of God beauty is our situation. Now I'm not talking about the situation we find ourselves in or the situation that 2023 has brought. But the word situation, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means it's elevation. And Spurgeon said, the higher above the world the church, the more beauty she possesses. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to walk like the world. We're not supposed to talk like the world. We're not to look down on them. We're to understand that the only thing that separates us from them is that the grace of God has been bestowed upon us, that we've been called now the sons of God, but there should be a line of separation and elevation between the church and the world. And what gives the church, what God designed to give the church its beauty is its elevation above the world. The scriptures say, and I think in studying and trying to pray, I think there's application there as well to the words of David when he said, I will look under the hills 
from whence cometh my help. I think he was referring to the mountain of Zion, to the high place where God descended and met with his people, to the house of God. If you'll have it to the church, even though there was not a church necessarily in the Old Testament, I believe the application's there. And David said, I look on the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. In that place where God has chosen to meet with his people, and that is the church. Now it's not necessarily the building because the church is not a building, it's a body. God has chosen. See, that's why that this Scripture, that the New Testament, especially the epistles of Paul and John and Peter admonish us that it's a daily walk because we don't become the church when we walk in the building and cease to be the church when we go outside the building. Being in a building does not make us any more in or out of the church than we already are, but we are the church. We don't have a temple anymore. We are the temple. God indwells the believer. And so it's a daily walk. It's not a Sunday morning only thing or a Sunday night only thing or a Wednesday night only thing. But it's a daily walk because every day we're as much the church on Monday as we are today. I know, unfortunately, that in many of these days, many people will say, well, if it's not about the building then why do I have to go to a building? Well, you're not coming for the building. But if you're a part of the church, and it's evidenced in the early church, and always has been so, if you are a part of the church, there's a heaven-born desire in you, and a desire that's not of this world, that craves the assembling together with others who are a part of the church. I believe there's a desire for the people of God to find a place with like-minded believers. I think if God shows you your place, I believe with all that's in me, you'll not convince me any otherwise that the Spirit of God will let you know when you have found your place. And I believe that it is our duty and obligation. But I believe more than that, it should be our joy and our desire to be in our place among the people of God. doesn't make us any more or less a part of the church, but it's just in us because we are a part of the church to be in the building and the assembly with the church. If you're a part of the church, if you're saved and born again a part of the church, there there won't have to be anybody go hunt you when it comes time to assemble together with the people of God. They didn't have to in the book of Acts. And I understand that situations hinder, circumstances hinder, sickness hinders. Some people have to work I'm not talking about uh, uh, making yourself available or volunteering. I think that's wrong. But I understand we got to have law enforcement officers, health care workers, prison guards on Sunday just like we do on Monday. I understand all about that. But I'm telling you, if there's not a desire in you that I want to be with the church uh, when it comes time to gather together with the church, uh, then I'd question and search my heart whether or not I was really a part of the church or not. And the beauty of the church is its elevation. See, we live in days, and I'm not. I prayed and asked the Lord. It was mentioned this morning in Sunday school. We're not measuring. We're not measuring ourselves nor our assembly 
by any other or any other assembly. The only measuring stick we have is Christ. But I do know, and I do need to say this morning, that we are living in a day that is wanted to bring the church off of the elevated place and make it level with the world. And that's a mockery and a shame and a disgrace in the eyes of God. God never intended for the church to look like the world and act like the world and talk like the world and sing like the world and preach like the world. It's not in here. It's not in here at all. But the beauty of the church is that it's elevated above the world. That we're to be holy because He's holy and He lives in us and we're part of his body and so if he's holy we want to be holy because we're a part of the church and the beauty of the church is it this is not my opinion this is what the scriptures say when this song or song came to the heart of the psalmist by the spirit of God he said it's beautiful because it's elevated and the church is beautiful because it's elevated but then he goes on I don't have Nothing fancy this morning. I just have what's on my heart. It says, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth. Ain't that something? When the church is right, and in its right place, it produces, it is the only source of joy for the whole earth. The world has no joy. The only, only joy can be found in God and God alone. And He produces that joy and works that joy in His church, in the body, in the believers. And so when the church is elevated and in its rightful place and in communion with God, it's a source of joy for the whole earth. Here's Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Look at verse number 3. I'm just going to stay real, real tight with the text this morning because that's what's on my heart. God is known in her. The verse says God is known in her palaces, which means high places or refuges for a refuge. But God worked in my heart them five words. God is known in her. That's what makes the church beautiful. Is that God is known in her. Always in the scripture, you'll find the church mentioned in the feminine because she is the bride of Christ. He's our bridegroom. We're the bride. And the scriptures say it is beautiful for God is known in her. That's what makes the church beautiful is there's a fellowship and a relationship. And it's not just any old one. And it's not a three time a week. It's an intimate, close relationship. And the closest relationship that anybody can ever have. A closer than husband and wife. A closer than mother and father and children is the relationship between the Savior and the sinner. And God is known. That word known means to experience or to have knowledge of. It don't mean just to know in your head. I mean, it means to have a personal experience, a walk, an encounter, multiple encounters with this God of the church. And that's what makes the church beautiful is that God's known in her. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, I want to say it in our terminology. Make application to us. We come in this assembly 
doesn't make us more vocal. This is the place that God's put all of us and many of you have vocalized and made mention of the fact that you're glad for your place. And it thrills my heart for people to say that God's led them here and this is their place. I thank God for it. That's what we want. But when we come in here and God begins to move and we don't have to look around to each other and ask who that is. We know this one that's moving among us. We're a part of the church and God's known within us. That's what makes the church beautiful is that we have knowledge that God is known within us. But then look at this. For verse number 3, for God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Verse number 4, for lo, the kings. Now he's talking about worldly kings. He's already made a differentiation between our king. He calls him, the in verse number 2, the, <coughs> the great king, capital K. But in verse number 4, he says, for lo, the kings. That's the kings of the world, the powers of the world, were assembled. So the people of God are assembled. And then the world is a symbol. And see, the reality is you're going to be drawn to a symbol with what you are. You know the reason many people don't want to come to church, to a church, to a, an assembly, to meet with the church is many times, not every time, but many times, oh, the main reason is they're not a part of the church. They might be a part of a building or an assembly, but they're not a part of the church. And the reason that the world carries on and they flock together and do what they do is because they're all a part of the same thing. And the reason that we come to the house of God and we come in the assembly is because we're a part of the church. And so the church assembles and the world assembles. And it says the kings were assembled, they passed by together. So he's talking about they passed by Zion. They pass by the meeting place of God. They pass by for our application the church. They saw it and they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travail. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that according, if we're going to stay true to the Scripture, the reason the church is beautiful is number one, because of its situation in verse number two. Because that God is known in her in verse number three. And then in verses four through six, it is an apparent fact that what goes on in here is strange to the world. That's the beauty of the church. Is that God has drawn a line of separation between us that are a part of the church and those who are not a part of the church. There's a line drawn. Now, I'm not trying to be cruel or harsh, but I'm glad the Scripture doesn't just stop there. It's not just the fact that we understand and know what's going on in here because we're a part of the church and they don't know and don't understand because they're not a part of the church. But you and I are affected in one way because we're a part of the church. It overjoys us. It helps us. It encourages us. It exhorts us. It strengthens us. It feeds us. But on the other hand, thank God, the beauty of the church is that it'll affect the saints, but it'll also affect the sinner. When the church is in its right place, when it's elevated, when the power of God's present, when God's known in her, it will thrill the saints, affect the saints. But according to the Scripture here, it will also affect the world. 
It said they passed by, they saw it, and so they marveled. They couldn't figure out what was going on, why it was going on, who it was that was making it go on. They marveled at it. Same words used in John chapter 3 when Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus and he says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. He said what that word means is don't let it take you back. Don't let it because it ain't going to figure out. Don't let the fact that it doesn't figure stop you from understanding by faith that you must be born again. So what the scriptures here are saying is the people of God are in the church they're wondering and praising and getting all worked up because God is working in them. And you and I don't understand it all, but we know Him and that's enough. And at the same time, all those without are trying to figure out. And you know the blessed thing about being a part of the church? I don't know. There have been days in my life when I wasn't right with God or I was walking afar off or my life wasn't what it ought to be. There were times I tried to figure out why. But I'm telling you when God's among us and you're where you ought to be, you don't stop and try to figure out why God's doing what He's doing and why He's doing it, how and when and where. You just get in because you know Him and that's enough. But those on the outside, they can't get past the fact that they're trying to figure out how this could be going on in the church and it's because they're not a part of the church. And it marvels them. And the Bible said they were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there. And pain as of a woman in travail. I want to tell you something. And this goes against probably everything that the modern day movements are preaching and teaching. The church, the church, has never in the Bible has never been meant to be a place for sinners to be comfortable. Never. It's a shame and a disgrace for a sinner to walk out of the assembly of the church, shake the preacher's hand, tell him he did a good job, and go on about his day. I understand we have off services. I understand I don't hit it every time because I'm flesh probably more times I don't than I do. But I'm telling you, it was never designed for the effect of the church to make sinners feel comfortable. The old preacher said, and I don't remember who said it first. Billy Mitchell was the first one I ever heard say it. Heard Brother Hannah Mibby say it. Heard Brother Terry Pace say it and others. That the sinner in the church of God has only two choices when God's in the house. It's either get in or get out. That's all. It's the only choices there are when God manifests Himself and when the church has the impact on the world that it ought to have, it's either going to produce one or two responses from the world. They're either going to want to get in and get what we have or they're going to want to get out and get as far away from us as they can. That's what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures said they saw it, they marveled, they were troubled, and they hasted away because fear took hold upon them there and pain is of a woman in travail. So the beauty of the church is not just what God does in the church, but it's the impact of God's work in the church on the world. <coughs> That's the beauty of the church. Let's look on and see what the Scriptures say and I'm done. 
Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. That speaks about God's work on the world. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah, we have thought of thy loving kindness. Now speaking about the people of God. O God, in the midst of thy temple, according to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. The beauty of the church is that God is praised among His people. That the praise and the worship, which are two different things, they go on inside the house of God. They go on within the church. And in this Scripture, I see that they talk not only about praise, but also about worship. In verse number 10, he said, According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise on the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. So they're praising God for what he's done, but they're also worshiping him for who he is. If we ever lose the fact that he's the center of it all, we've lost the beauty of the church. The main beauty of the church is that God is the center of it all. When we come in the door for the assembling together with the church, we have come not to see or be seen. Now, I want to see you. I want us to gather together. My heart is encouraged and helped. And it thrills me to see you and to see the smiles on your faces and get to preach to you is a great honor. But, but more than that, it's about Him. We've come together for Him. I want to see you, but more than that, I want to experience His work among us. I want to see you get help because I'm your pastor and I love you. And the only way for that to happen is He be in the midst. I can't help you as much as I want to and would do anything I could for you. And I've prayed for you. And some of you have called me in the middle of the night and I'm not, I'm not uh, bragging about me or belittling anybody else, but I, I want to do that and I'm willing to do that. But at the end of the day, the only help we have is in Him. It's in Him. He's the reason we're a part of the church in the first place. The only reason we're a part of the church. So He ought to be the reason that we assemble together with the church is to praise and to worship Him. But then I want to give you this and I'm done. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our God even unto death. I got to reading them verses and it come on me about as strong as any other part of this is the beauty of the church is that there's a future in the church. There's future in the church. There's a future for the church and we read about that this morning. He's coming again. That's the future of, a, of the church. But there's a future within the church. The God we serve is our God forever and ever. And the same God we're here serving this morning, if time lasts, will be the same God that will work on our children and our grandchildren in generations to come. And so what's our responsibility as the church? Well, let's look what the Scriptures say. It says, walk about Zion. 
and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Now there's a lot of definitions here. The word tell means to count, rehearse, to take accurate account of. The word towers means elevated places and, and it's also used, it's translated for the word pulpit in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 4 which is the only place in the whole Bible that the word pulpit's mentioned when Ezra the scribe, they made him a pulpit of wood to stand upon to read the word of God. They put him in an elevated place so all the people could hear. And so what's being said here is for the people of God to take an accurate account of the business, the main business of the church is the preaching of the gospel. I thought about the word beautiful. It's not mentioned very much in the New Testament. The the majority of time that you see the word beautiful, it's mentioned in the book of Acts when it's descriptive of the gate called beautiful where Peter and John go up at the hour of prayer and the lame man sits there. Jesus uses it to speak negatively of the Pharisees that outwardly they appear beautiful. But its main application in the sense that we're looking at this morning is in the book of Romans when it says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach glad tidings of peace. That preach the gospel. That's the main business of the church is to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And so the scripture here says to take accurate account of the business of the church. The elevated places should be to proclaim the gospel. But then look at verse 13. Mark well her bulwarks. The word mark means to set mind to, to consider. The word well means within. It goes farther than your conscious mind. It means within your heart and your soul. And the word bulwark here means fortress. The word consider means to pass within. Not just have it in your mind and in your heart, but actually be there in the palaces. Which also is the same word that is used for bulwarks, which means fortress. And it's also mentioned again, I think, in verse number 3, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. The main business of the church and the function of the church and the beauty of the church never changes. The church is designed by God to always be an elevated place. It's always to be a place where God is known within her. It's always to be a place that has an effect not just on those who are a part of the church, but those who are not a part of the church. It is always to be a place of refuge. Always to be a place of help. Always to be a place of the proclamation. We're not. We're, it's never in here. Never in here to share the gospel. That word's never used. This is not. A, it is a place to proclaim the gospel. You say, well, that's just. You're getting real technical. Well, the word proclaim speaks of the fact that there's understood power behind it. And the power is not in the preacher's voice. And the power is not in the preacher's delivery. I've been in services with good men of God. I was in one not long ago and some others here were in the service with me and I sat in the congregation and was astounded by the fact that they were so hung up in His delivery. They missed altogether the message He was delivering. 
This is not a place for entertainment, not a place to see how loud the preacher can preach. And I'm not against loud preaching, and I'm not against soft preaching. I was not geared to be a soft preacher. God put it in me. I don't need no, I went to a service not long ago, and they said we're having trouble with the PA system. Don't know how high we'll be able to turn your microphone up. I said, if that's the problem, don't worry about it. I don't need one. And I don't. It's just in me to be this way. But just because some other preacher, and we've seen definite proof of that, and I've always been a proponent of that, and I've prayed, I've tried to follow God, but I want the children and everybody in this church that God has given me the oversight of to understand that it's not about how a man delivers. But it's in what he's delivering and how he's delivering. Not in his speech, but in the power. You don't have to have a loud voice to have the power of God. We have mistaken that in our day. For We've mistaken noise for God. And God's not always in a racket. Sometimes He's in the quiet more than He's in the racket. But what this Scripture is saying, what God really touched my heart with, is what the church was designed to do is what the church will always be. There'll be a lot of counterfeits. There'll be a lot of people that want to change it. They want to implement new things and contemporary things. And By the way, the word contemporary just means occurring in the same time. They want to make the church relevant. Nowhere in this book anywhere are we ever commanded to make us, the church, the message, the preaching, the preacher, the congregation, the building relevant to the world. We're supposed to be, a matter of fact, the opposite in an elevated place. That's part of the beauty of the church. Beautiful for situation. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. There's a, the Lord spoke to my heart and said there's a future in the church. We, we don't need games and gimmicks to give hope for our children. And we've got a bunch of them. Thank God for it. But we don't need to get a committee together today and figure out what other things we can add to it. Just preach the Bible. Live holy. Seek the power of God. Not just in the pulpit, but all the way in the back pew. Seek for the power of God. Pray for the preacher. Pray for each other. Pray for the services. Pray God manifests Himself. Pray for the souls of sinners and let God have His work. There's a future in the church. God doesn't need our help to push. I feel like really, and I'm done. I've already preached way longer than I meant to. I feel like in our world today, there's this misconception that God somehow needs our help to push the church along. God, we weren't there when God instituted the church. And there's a whole lot of debate and it really doesn't matter. God made the church. He paid for the church. Died for the church. He's the authority over the church. He set the church in motion. And the church has never stopped. And it never will stop until He calls us out of here. And God doesn't need our help to push the church along. God doesn't need our help to make the church. Nothing we can do within ourselves makes the church any more beautiful. But what we can do is magnify the one that gives the beauty to the church. And when a church does that, when we come together into the assembly as a part of the church, and we have come in one mind and one accord, and we have come to magnify the one, that's what makes the church the most beautiful place that you've ever seen. And the prettiest church I've ever seen, 
Now I understand we, we understand that there is but one church, but I'm talking about an assembly. The prettiest assembly I've ever seen will be the assembly that makes much of the one that paid for the church. That's the prettiest church I've ever seen. I hope maybe you've got something out of it. I hope maybe it's challenged your heart. I thought about as the Lord dealt with my heart about this. I thought, Lord, if you give us the year, if you give us next year, Lord, would you help me to be that kind of part of the church? to magnify You, to want to go toward You. May, may Lord, 2024 count for You in my life way more than 2023 did. Lord, may I draw closer to You in the days to come. May I lift You up more. May I focus on the fact that what You have done already creates hope within the church. There's hope for everyone here this morning in the church because He's the hope of the church. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, that it's been to be in Your house. Lord, I'm grateful for the Word of God. Thank You for the thoughts that You've laid upon.